Let's jump into 2 Peter. So last week we did 1 Peter. Um, the last two weeks we've done 1 Peter. This week we're going into 2 Peter. Next week we'll continue with 2 Peter. Now, just to set you up for this, 2 Peter is a little bit different than 1 Peter, okay? In 2 Peter we've got three kind of major themes. And, um, and Peter tends to break the themes up. Well, whoever, whoever came in and, and, you know, organized all this stuff broke up his letter into chapters. But you can see three distinct segments um, or themes in Peter's letter, in his second letter. The segments that I notice or the themes that I notice are he wants to talk about growth. And he'll talk about growth as a Christian a lot. As a matter of fact, today's message is all about growing. That's what we want to hit. He'll also talk about false doctrines and false preachers next week. That's what we're going to talk about. I feel that's very important for where we are as a nation because right now I'm seeing a lot of people claim Christianity, but what they're saying does not match up with what the Word of God says. And so there's a lot of false doctrine out there, a lot of false Christianity out there. And so next week we're going to talk about that. But in chapter 3, it's mostly about this understanding of the end times. And, and he doesn't get into like teaching you end times. It's more about you need to understand that you are in the end times. And so, so understanding that, we know we've got to be growing because we're getting close to the end. We've got to make sure that our doctrine is sound, that we're not listening to false doctrine because we're getting close to the end. And so that's kind of how he's going to wrap everything up at the end of his letter. But uh, today what I want to do is we're going to just kind of stay mostly in chapter 1. And I'll dip into chapter 3 a couple of times. But for the most part, we're going to stay in chapter 1. So let's start off right from the beginning. I will dance around a little bit. I thought about just going straight through. Um, but I decided not to. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We will start at the beginning. This is a letter from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I like right off the bat. Like right off the bat, he addresses the fact that he's a slave and an apostle. That his life is not his own. That he is completely sold out. That he has a master called Jesus Christ that he lives for. I love that. Right off the bat, he establishes some truth that we all need to get a hold of. Then listen to this. This is so good. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. Listen, I think it's pretty cool that you and I share the same faith that Peter has. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter walked literally on the water with Jesus. And we share the same faith that he's got. Isn't that a neat thought? Isn't it cool to think whenever you think you're a nobody, whenever you think I'm not good enough, whenever you think I'm not the best, and to think that we can share the same faith with a guy like Peter? That's pretty cool to me. I like it. You guys aren't quite as impressed as I am, but I really like that part. This faith was given to us, uh, it was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Now, I am going to skip down just a little bit. Because I want to talk about something that Peter, um, I want to get us a, an idea, a background on what Peter's writing about here. So Peter, um, A, thinks the end is near. As a matter of fact, um, in, in chapter 3, he talks about the return of Christ um, as something sudden. It's something, not necessarily that it's right around the corner, but he wants you to understand that we don't know when it is, and it could be any time, so you need to be ready right? Like it's imminent. It, it, we don't know when it's going to happen. But the other, the other part that he's going to mention here, and I'm going to skip down a few verses, and it's important to see why he's writing this letter, is this. 
in 1 Peter uh, 12, uh, 1, 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. What things? About growth, about false doctrine, about the end times. I'm always going to remind you about this stuff. I'm, I'm going to be constantly hounding you about these things. Even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. In other words, Peter's saying to these churches in Turkey, he's saying, listen guys, I, I get it, you're Christians, I understand that, but I'm desperate today, there's something stirring inside of me, I, I'm in a hurry, and I want to give you a reminder of all this stuff. Even if you've already heard it, I'm going to give it to you again. And even if you're full of it, I'm going to give it to you again. I'm going to keep giving you this reminder about growth. Why? Because there's something about to happen. Verse 13, and it's only right that I should keep reminding you as long as I live. Verse 14, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. I wanted to skip down and give you that little note because here's the thing. Peter is writing this as one of his last letters. Peter's about to be crucified. And, and, and from what we hear through history and through church historians, most people think that Peter was, was killed by Nero. He was killed in Rome. And, and the way he was killed was to be crucifixion. And the story goes that whenever they went to crucify him, Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. Turn me upside down. And so they flipped his cross upside down and crucified him head down feet up. I wanted to tell you that part of the story because you need to understand what's behind this letter. Sometimes we read Bible stories and we read books of the Bible and we don't understand what's behind it. We don't understand the motivation behind it. Peter has this motivation of, I'm about to die. This may be the last thing I get to say to you. Listen to me. This is important. And when you understand that these are a dying man's words, it, it brings more validity to what he's saying. And it also adds more passion to what he's saying. And it makes me want to listen a little bit more to what he's saying. So you got to understand, this is it for Peter. This is it. And he's already written one letter to these people. And now he's writing a second letter. And he's, he's passionate. He's desperate in his writing. He's desperate that they grow, right? So look at first at second Peter one, two, we'll bounce back up. If you're in your Bible, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow. Highlight that one, right? Grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. So real quickly, let's unpack that. He's saying that you need to get more grace and peace. How am I going to get it? I'm getting it from God, right? And how many of us could use more grace and peace? I think all of us could use more grace and peace. Amen. I need more peace in my life, right? Um, so we need more grace and more peace as we grow in your knowledge. As you grow in your knowledge. Now, the word knowledge there is important uh, be, because that word in the Greek means contact knowledge. In other words, it means through relationship. It's not just a book learning Book learning is good, but book learning is nothing compared to relationship learning, right? It's different for me to read about Jesus and, than to go be with Jesus. If, if, I could, if I could read all the stories, my son loves sports and he loves to read about all these athletes and all this kind of stuff. And, and so he knows a lot of information about certain athletes, but it's very different when you can go sit down and talk to that athlete and spend time with them. One of the things I like to do is um, 
is, is whenever I talk to people, I, I like to figure out their thought pattern behind what they did. And even if what they do is kind of nerdy, or even if what they do is outside of my realm of understanding, I still like to listen to hear why you did what you did. See, anybody can read about what you did, but I want to know the thought behind it. And what Peter is saying here is, he's saying, I want you to grow in your knowledge, in your contact knowledge, in your relationship with God. That it's not just about how much you know about the Word, it's about how much the Word is in you, living inside of you. It's about knowing Christ, not knowing about Christ. And in America today, what we do is we got a lot of people that know about Christ, but they don't know Christ Himself. They know about church, but they got no relationship with God. And Peter says you got to have a relationship. And not only do you have to have a relationship, it needs to be a growing relationship. Developing, progressing. Remember that word growth because we'll hit it again in just a little bit. So what does it mean for me to grow in my relationship with Christ? Well, I've kind of pieced together three thoughts here that that Peter kind of has. And of course, I'm trying to uh, throw in some words to help us remember, right? So I put... Three words that start with the P to help us remember. Um, pure, right? That's the first word. And, and then the second word is productive. And then the third word is proven. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you now so I can just preach through them, right? So, so pure, productive, and proven. These are three words that Peter uses, three terms that he uses to help us understand what growth should look like as a Christian. So if we look down at verses 3 and 4, and now we'll kind of start tracking down as it goes. Verses 3 and 4, it says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That's huge right there. We'll come back to it. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. That's a key word. These are the promises that enable you to share in His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. So, What does it mean for me to be pure? As I grow, I become more pure. What does that mean? To become pure means to become more like Christ and less like the world. Here's what Peter's saying. He says, listen, he's giving you everything you need to live a godly life. Why? Because he wants you to escape. Well, first of all, he wants you to to share in Christ's divine nature. That's huge, folks. Not only do I share in the same faith that Peter has, but Peter says I can share in the divine nature that Christ has. That I can share in his nature. I can live like him. I can, I'm not him. I'm not divine. I'm not a God. Obviously, that's not true. But I can share in the nature. The, I can be like him. Paul says we need to go from glory to glory until we're in the image of Christ. There's this idea of growth that should be happening, getting us closer to Jesus and further away from the world. If you look at your life and you're closer to the world than you are to Jesus, you're not going the right direction. We're not living the life that he's called us to live if we're more and more like everybody else and less and less like Jesus. He wants us to be more like Christ. And then he says we escape the world's corruption. I'm going to skip over to chapter 3 because in chapter 3 he hits the idea of pure again. He says in, in verse 14, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, talking about the end times events, Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. 
it's important that purity becomes a part of who we are. Some people say, well, well, Gabriel, you're just being a prude. You know, I should be able to watch what I want and do what I want and say what I want. No, no, I got you. You should. You should be able to do whatever you want to do as long as it's getting closer to Jesus. And so a lot of times there's things that I do or things that I say or things that I watch or, or activities that I'm involved in and I have to check myself and I have to say, am I getting closer to Christ or am I getting further away or am I just being stagnant in the middle? Because to be honest with you, being stagnant is still not growing and I want to be growing. I want to be getting closer to him. I want to be molded into his image. We're going to skip down for a second. Skip down to verses 16 through 21. Because one of the things that Peter says is he says, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Okay, so right off the bat, we're saying, okay, how can I be pure, Gabriel? How can I, how can I get closer to God? How can I move away from the world, escape those, those um, evil corruptions? How can I um, embrace and share in that divine nature? How is that even possible? He already says he's given you everything you need. And then he starts talking about the word promises. He says that there are great and precious promises. And the, it is the promises that enable. So, so what are the promises? The promises are God's word. The promises that he's talking about here are the promises he's made to us throughout his word. I think it's in like Psalm 138. I'm not sure. I, didn't, I don't think I put it in the notes, Tim. Um, but where David says where David says that God honors his promises even above his name. In other words, no matter what the marvelous acts God's done in the past, he honors his word above all of it. It's important to understand that God's word is super important to our lives. So 2 Peter, and, and I'm hounding on this because next week I'm going to talk about false doctrine. And if we don't have a good understanding of his word, then any false doctrine that steps in is going to take us away. I'm going to be honest with you. I watched some sermons uh, from other people. I've watched some messages and, and listened to some different things. And, and, um, and there's some of that stuff. Had I, not be, had I not been grounded in God's word, and we'll talk about this next week. I listened to one guy that started talking about Adam and Eve. And I think I've told some of you this before. He started talking about Adam and Eve. And he starts making God in the story of Adam and Eve as the evil one and the serpent as the only one telling the truth. Now, had I not been grounded in God's word to understand that he would twist one little word here and one little word there to, to make me think that I could have been or, or any of us could have been derailed from our faith to chase after this false doctrine if we're not grounded in God's word. You need to be grounded in God's word even if it hurts. One of the things uh, I, I was talking to someone the other day and they were asking me about my doctrine and, and, and my faith and how I how I walk out my faith. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm 100% for God's word, even if it goes against my tradition, even if it goes against what I originally thought, even if it goes against what I may have been taught before, if it's in God's word, I've got to obey God's word first and foremost. It's got to become a foundation for everything else that I do. And here's, Peter's going to explain that to us. He says this, talking about himself and the other apostles, um, in verse 16, we'll go 16 through 21. He says this, for we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice of the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were on the holy mountain. Listen, 
Peter is tracking back to a place in the Gospels where the Bible says that he and um, James and John went up on a mountain with Jesus to hang out. When they get up on the mountain with Jesus, all of a sudden the Bible says that, that Moses and Elijah showed up in bodily form and Jesus began to glow. It was an amazing story. Things begin to happen and then Peter immediately gets stupid, right? And so Peter immediately goes, Jesus, this is awesome. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, like tents. Let's build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And we can just hang out right here. As I was studying, I came across something that I think is interesting. It may not necessarily apply to the message, but I think it's interesting. They said part of the reason that Peter got rebuked in that moment, because as he's saying that, the Bible says that as he was speaking, that God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, God rebuked Peter himself, interrupted him, shut him down. Why did he do that? Why did he rebuke him? And, and the study I, I came across that I thought was so interesting is that when Peter says, let's build three tabernacles, he's saying, let's put all three of you on the same level. Let's put Jesus, Moses, and Elijah all together on the same level. Let's lower your divinity just a little bit and raise theirs up. Put you all on the same level. And God said, no, 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 no. This one is my son. You pay attention to him. Stop talking about tents and tabernacles, dummy. Right? And, and I, think it's, I think it's cool how when Peter says, hey, listen, we didn't make up a bunch of fairy tales about Jesus. This is legit. This is the real deal. He didn't call back to the time when Jesus fed 5,000. He didn't call back to the time when Jesus walked on water. He didn't call back to the time when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He called back to a time when he got rebuked. But that rebuke became a cornerstone of his life when he realized that Jesus is, is above all, that he is God, and I need to listen to him. So Peter says, Peter says basically in 16, 17, and 18, he's saying you need to pay attention to what the apostles have said, what the disciples, the gospel basically, the gospels that have been written. You need to pay attention to these. And then in verse 19 he says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence... In the message proclaimed by the prophets, that's the Old Testament. In other words, Peter says, because God himself confirmed Christ and showed us that Christ is, is, really, uh, Christ is really just the Old Testament revealed. Like he, is, he fulfills all the Old Testament. He says, so now I've got even greater confidence in the Old Testament, in the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns in Christ, the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Let me just say this. I think it's so cool. That word moved there means um, it's a sailing term. It means to, to hoist up your, your sails, to open up your sails and allow the wind to push your ship. It doesn't mean that you're not steering. It doesn't mean that you don't have a rudder. It, it doesn't mean that you're still not on board the ship. But it means that that ship is empowered by the wind. How did these guys write the Bible? They wrote the Bible with their own personality? Yes. With their own way of speaking? Yes. But who was the wind in their sails? The Holy Spirit the whole time. The Holy Spirit working from Genesis to Revelation in, in filling every one of these writers, making sure that the whole thing 
ties together. And so Peter says, the promises are what get us to that divine nature. It's the promises that help us live a pure life. You've got to hold on to the promises. Listen, it's at the point when we stop holding on to the word of God that our life begins to deteriorate. We start losing a handle on how to live when we let go of God's word. Jesus even said this. He said, build your life on my words. Build your life on my words. The second thing that we, the second P word we talked about was being productive, right? Being productive. So we'll go back up to verse five and we'll keep tracking down again. In verse five, it says, in view of all this. So I I just told you about the promises. I just told you about living a pure life. I just told you about escaping from the world's corruption. In view of all that, with that in the back of your mind, here's what I need you to do. He says this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. In other words, make every effort to respond to the word of God. You live it out. How do I live it out? By supplementing your faith. That's cool. How many of you take supplements? Anybody take supplements? Lots of people take supplements, right? What is a supplement? A supplement is something that I take because I don't get enough of that um, in my normal daily nutrition. So, so people that need to eat a lot of protein, maybe they're not getting enough protein in their system through food, so they take a protein drink. It is a supplement. You don't just drink the drink. you gotta have, you got to have the food too, right? Um, people that try to live off of protein drinks all the time, they're going to struggle. So you got to have the meat, you got to have the real protein, but then you also add in the supplement because it makes everything better. Okay, so understand that because here's what he says. He says, supplement your faith. In other words, first and foremost, you got to have faith. You got to be faithful to Christ. You got to have faith. You got to believe in him, right? That's the first and foremost. But here's what he says. Supplement your faith with a generous provision. I like that. A whole bunch of, if he was in Alabama, moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Let me quickly go through those words so you know what they mean. I've got a little spot in your notes. You can write this down if you want to. Moral excellence means this. It's not just being morally good. It's being able to display that moral excellence. In other words, to display virtue. Peter's saying this. It's not just that I have good morals. It's that I show good morals all the time. I'm living them out. I'm walking them out. So it's not just having faith and believing in God. It's having faith and believing in God. But at the same time, I'm walking out good morals. Right? Knowledge. Knowledge here um, isn't just that contact knowledge we talked about earlier. This one leans more towards sound doctrine. And so, in other words, Peter's setting us up for what he's saying later. He's saying, hey... Dig into the word. Understand the word. Later on, I'm going to talk to you about false doctrines and false preachers. you got to add sound doctrine to your faith. And can I just throw this in as a little sidebar for you? If you need help with your doctrine, what is doctrine? Doctrine is what I believe from the word of God, what the word of God says that I need to be doing in my life. So if you need help with that, if you need help studying God's word, please talk to me. I will give you all the places that I go to study and you can study for yourself. I'm not the only person in the room who should be studying God's word. We should all be studying it. And it's my job to help give us some direction and guidance. But we're all studying God's word together. And so I encourage you, get some sound doctrine. If you don't know what you believe, then you will fall for anything that anybody tells you. You've got to know some things. Then he says self-control. I love the definition of self-control. 
The definition is just this. It's really simple. Self-dominion. Self-dominion. Get some control over your own life. If you find yourself in a place of addiction, or you find yourself in a place where you're having to say, I, don't, I just can't help myself, then, then what's happened is, and I, I know we've got to trust God. I know the Bible says trust in the Lord with all your, with all your might. I, I get that. I know he's going to lead us and guide us if we trust in him. But, and I know he's the king of my life. I know, I'm trying to think of all the arguments. of you have so, Listen, but you still got to have self-control. The Bible says self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit indwells you, that he produces self-control through you. So if you're at a place in your life today where you say, I just can't help myself. Chances are you don't have good self-control. You've got to take dominion over your own self. One of the things we talk about sometimes is the idea of body awareness. And have you ever watched a teenager, right, kind of going through puberty, try to play sports or try to do anything in the gym or try to do anything active? They have very little body awareness. Their body's just, you know, it's like everything's made out of rubber. You know what I mean? And, and so it's so fun. Like one time we were watching my son, um, and I wish I had the video up, but I was watching my son lift weights, and he gets the weights, and he gets it all the way up over his head, and then all of a sudden, all his rubber bones kick in, and he just keeps going backwards and backwards and backwards, and he doesn't think to let go of the bar. He just holds on to the bar and rides it all the way to the floor right on his back. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen, so much so that I asked Andrew if he had it on video, and he did. The security camera caught it, and I've got it on my phone, and I watch it every so often just to laugh at my kid. But teenagers, sometimes they don't have this body control. They don't know how to control their bodies. And, and we laugh at them and we make fun of them. But then for us as adults, we don't have control over our own self. Maybe we've learned how to control our bodies, but we haven't learned how to control our emotions. We haven't learned how to control our, our, our thoughts. We haven't learned how to control where our finger clicks on the computer or where our, our TV button goes. Like there are certain things we don't control and we can make fun of other people, but if we've got the same issue. So if you find yourself just in a place where, I don't know why I'm acting like this. I just can't help myself. And you just know how I am. Listen, how you are is going to send you to hell. Be someone different. Be like Jesus. Don't be like how you are. It's better that way. Wow, that was harsh, Gabriel. Yikes, I didn't get bacon, and so I'm mad. <laughs> Did y'all save me bacon? Did you save me some bacon? Ah, you're not going to have a job when I get back. <laughs> Patient endurance, just being able to remain under load. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The idea of even though I may be in a strainful situation, I may be in a tough spot, that I can still endure even, you know, I can still endure in my faith with Christ. That I, I'm not going to fall away because things are bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have patient endurance. Godliness. Godliness just means this. I love this. This was huge. Devotion to God and what he approves of. I love that. I love that because godliness, godliness falls right into line with me worshiping. Godliness falls right into line with me showing up at church. It falls right into line with me having fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because those are things he approves of and I need to be devoted to those things. That's why we're on you about coming to church. Why, why is it important to come to church? Because this is something God approves of. And I, I don't attend church. I'm devoted to church. Now, I know this isn't your job. I get that. It's my job. It's not your job. But still, the idea that I'm devoted to the church family is a huge thing for us as Christians. And we should be devoted. And then the last one, last two is brotherly affection and love. Now, those are both Greek words for love. 
brotherly affection, phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's this idea that we need to have fun. I love the fact that yesterday um, I'm looking around and I see, you know, five or six, seven people from the church all out doing this stupid barbarian race, right? We're out there running around, swimming through the water, jumping over the rocks, climbing through the mud. We're out there having a blast at this barbarian challenge. What are we doing? That's brotherly affection. We're out there hanging out with each other and having fun and laughing at each other, right? And it's, it's a great time. Listen, if the only time you see Christians is on Sunday morning, we're doing it wrong. Like, we need to have fellowship with each other. We need to hang out with each other. We need to go get a bite to eat. We need to go do something. And so I think that's important to have that fellowship. But then also he throws in love, which is agape love, which is unconditional, godly love. you got to add that to your faith. If you don't have that kind of love in your faith, listen, we can't, we can't go through life. You can't call it faith if you don't like somebody because of their social status. You can't call it faith if you avoid people because of the color of their skin. You can't call it faith if you don't like somebody because of who they voted for. The fact is, Republicans and Democrats, neither one of them are Jesus. They're both wrong in some areas. They're both right in some areas. we got to find Jesus, and we got to love people. It doesn't mean I agree with everything that person says. It doesn't mean I agree with everything that person does. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm on board with everything that they do, but i still got to love them. i still got to love them, right? So let's keep tracking down 2 Peter uh, 1, 8 and 9. He says this, the more you grow like this, in other words, the more you supplement your faith with all these things, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about being productive here. He says you will be productive. Don't you hate the idea whenever you go help somebody? Have you ever been asked to go help do something and you show up at the project and there's really nothing for you to do? And you're just standing around watching everybody else work. I hate that feeling, right? And, and I used to get that feeling where it's Father's Day, so we'll talk about dads. I remember my dad and I used to go out, and my dad would say, come out here and help me work on the car. I'm not a car guy. And so I'd go out there to help my dad work on the car. About the first time I did something wrong, my dad would say, here, let me show you how to do it. And he would take the tools. And 30 minutes later, I'm sitting on the side. I didn't have a phone back then, so there was nothing to do but sit there and watch him. And I'm doing nothing, and he's fixing the car, right? Anybody else have a dad like that? Nope, just me. All right, awesome. Way to go, Dad. There's this idea of, I want to be productive. Like, I want to do something. I didn't want to be productive. <laughs> Truth is, I was smart, and I knew if I screwed up the first thing, he would jump in and take over, and I'd just sit back and watch, sipping on lemonade. Um, so the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, it's not good enough just to have a relationship, just to have knowledge of him. You've got to be productive in that knowledge. But those who fail to develop this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their old sins. Short-sighted means I can only see what's right in front of me. I think I'm short-sighted. Yep, I think I am. I can't ever get those. I always get them mixed up. Short-sighted means you only see what's in front, right? Am I right? Am I wrong? All you people with glasses are looking at me. You're like, I can't even see you right now. It's the one you're good at? Okay. So, so I'm short-sighted then. So I can see fine right here, but like looking back in the back of the room, everything's blurry, right? And, and so here's what Peter's saying. He's saying if you're not learning how to grow and be productive and add these things to your life, then chances are you're short-sighted. All you can see is the right here, right now. 
You can't see the future. You can't see what God's got coming. You, you can't think about um, anything beyond what's right in front of me. And so many of us live our lives in this little bubble right here. We're only focused on ourselves. We're only focused on what affects me and what helps me. And we're never focused on the kingdom. And we're never focused on the future. And we're never thinking about the fact that Christ could come back at any minute. And we're only focused right here. The third thing that we've got to do is we've got to prove our faith. Now, this is one I don't really want to preach, right? Like, because we want to talk about how we're saved by grace and, and it's not by works that you're saved. And, and it's all, you know, just, Gabriel, it's not about works. It's not about works. It's only about grace, only about grace. Okay. But the problem is Peter walked with Jesus. And Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove. Work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Let's pause right there. What does it mean to prove? John, you guys can come up. What does it mean to prove my faith? Listen, I can have theoretical knowledge, right? I can have theory all I want, but proving something means I act on it. Proving something means I go out and do it and I show it. That it's real. So it's not theoretical, it's reality. I prove my faith by growing in all those supplements that he gave me. I prove my faith by stepping away from the world and getting closer to Christ. By, by fighting for a pure life, not a tainted life. I prove my faith. And he says you got to work hard at proving your faith. It's not something that just happens overnight. But we prove our faith through our hard work. And I think it's interesting here. The next, the next verse is so cool because verse 11, it talks about what happens. He says, do these things and you will never fall away. In other words, you're not going to stumble if you learn how to prove your faith. You're not going to stumble. But then he says in verse 11, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word grand entrance there is a, it's a term that had to do with the Romans Whenever they would go off and conquer a land and the emperor would lead the army or the general would lead the army back into Rome. And when they did, they would have these huge parades and celebrations. Peter is saying here, he's saying, listen, you got to learn how to prove your faith. It can't just be theory. It can't just be head knowledge. It's got to be action involved. You've got to be walking this thing out every day. You've got to be adding those things and growing in those areas. You've got to be moving away from the world and closer to Christ. These are things that should be evident in your life. People should see it happening in you. And he says, if you will learn to live like this, first of all, you're not going to stumble. Second of all, you're going to step into a grand parade when you enter heaven. How cool would it be whenever you show up in heaven and maybe you're not the flashiest Christian. Maybe you weren't the on stage preaching or leading in worship. Maybe you weren't a missionary, but maybe you were just that guy or that gal that got a hold of this word in Second Peter and said, I'm going to live a pure life. I'm going to live a pure life. 
I'm going to dig myself into God's Word. I'm going to build my life on what the prophets and the apostles have already taught me. I'm going to dig into His Word, and and I'm going to live a pure life. I'm going to step away from what the world wants to do, and I'm going to get closer to Christ. What if you looked at your faith and you just said, I may not be what everybody else thinks is special or some kind of super Christian, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start adding some things to my faith. I'm not going to just stay stagnant in just faith and belief. I'm going to add godliness and I'm going to add sound doctrine and I'm going to add brotherly love and I'm going to add love for everybody. I'm going to start adding these things to my faith and I'm going to start growing and building and becoming a healthy, growing Christian. And then one day you die. And when you die, you walk to the gates of heaven. And they open up wide for you. And there's a huge celebration. There's horns playing and angels flapping their wings or whatever is happening. And, and you walk into a huge celebration. Wouldn't that be amazing? And isn't it cool that Peter started off the chapter by saying, You share in the same faith that I have. In other words, you and I have access to that same grand entrance. It's all about living the life that Peter's trying to lay out for us and continually reminding us to do. There's another verse. I don't think I've even put it in my notes, but I may have given it to you, Tim. Show me 1 Corinthians 3.15. Check this out. This one's... This is nuts. This is Paul speaking. And Paul says, but if the work is burned up, talking about when people um, live their life to do a bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter, like they're all about their money or they're all about their clothes or they're all about their things and and they're all about their job, all things that will end up burning away and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But they're still Christians, but their life has not been focused on on that purity. Their life has not been focused on those promises. Their their life has not been about being productive for Christ and for his kingdom. And so whenever it comes time to prove, the Bible says, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, so he'll get to heaven, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Paul says there's some of us that we're barely going to make it. Like we're going to get to heaven and it's not going to be a grand entrance and a parade and, and, and horns blasting and music playing. It's going to be us just slipping in, smelling like smoke, right? I mean, I want to be there no matter what, but I would really like the grand parade. I don't want to be that guy in, oh, Gabriel made it too, by the way. You know what I mean? It's like I get to heaven and Peter's like, here's a bush. I'm going to move it out of the way and there's a hole in the wall going in, you know. Peter says there's a grand entrance for us. Let me end today with this. Second Peter, we'll we'll skip down to chapter 3 one more time. I'm going to use this again next week. We'll repeat this verse. 17 and 18. This is the last thing he writes. This is it. And so I want to close out both messages with the last thing Peter has to say. You already know these things, dear friends. In other words, guys, I'm up here preaching to you, but you already know this. I didn't tell you one new thing today. Think about it. I didn't. I told you to live a godly life and get away from a worldly living. I told you to add things to your life like godliness. I mean, that's not new. He says, you already know these things, dear friends. So be on your guard Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. 
Verse 18 is really where I want us to hone in today. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Amen. He doesn't say you should grow. He doesn't say it's a good idea to grow. He says you must grow. It's a commandment, not a suggestion. Why don't you stand up with me today? I don't know about you guys, but when I preach, I honestly, I I know probably every pastor says this, I don't preach to you, I'm really preaching to me, and you just get the byproduct, right? And that's legit for this word. When I started reading, I've read this chapter, honestly, I'm not exactly sure, probably 30 times, 40 times, I just keep reading it over and over and over and over and over this week. And one of the things that keeps sticking out to me is, am I growing Am I growing? And I, I want to be the kind of Christian that is constantly growing. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that is just like he was 10 years ago, that was just like he was 20 years ago. I want to be somebody that's growing and developing and becoming stronger and becoming more productive and able to do more for Christ, not less for Christ. I'll never forget one time when I was a kid, my dad preached a message called High Watermarks and and in the message called High Watermarks, he was talking about how sometimes if you're in a boat or uh, on a river, you can see like on a bridge, on the pylons, on the, you know, the, the part that holds a bridge up, you can see these marks where the river used to be, but now the river is much lower. Those are called high watermarks. That's the highest a river had ever gotten. And, and in the message that he talked about, he was talking about how in our life sometimes we have these high watermarks that we look back and we look back at our life and say, look how on fire for God I was. Look back at my life, and I think Bobby talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Looking back at my life, look at how I used to read my Bible all the time and I used to, I used to love to hear God's word and now, now I, I might read it once or twice a week maybe. I used to witness to people and tell people about Jesus and I, and I used to love everybody, but now I'd, I'm just so busy and I'm just... Man, I used to go to church every time the doors were open and now I just, I'm just so busy and i got so much stuff going on and I'll show up when I can. And like we've got these high watermarks and I'm telling you today, my goal in life is to no longer have high watermarks. I want to grow and grow and grow. I want to develop. And when I can't grow anymore, when I'm Peter's, in Peter's position where I'm on my deathbed, I'm looking, I'm looking death in the face. When I can't grow anymore, my goal then is to be helping other people grow. My goal then is to start pushing other people further. And Peter said, I'm going to keep reminding you and keep reminding you and keep reminding you because one day I'm going to be gone. But this word I'm telling you will stay with you. So there may be some of us in the room today and you can look at your life and you say, man, I got some definite high watermarks and I need to start growing. I got some areas of immaturity in my life, spiritually, emotionally, and I need to start growing. I need to take a step up. I'm going to encourage you, dig into his word, dig into his word. That's the first step. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning? 
Before we dismiss, we're going to, actually, before we even leave today, we're going to watch a little video. We'll have some more fun and take pictures. But before we get to that part, I want us to hone in on what God's trying to say to us today. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now? And maybe you're not serving Jesus today. Maybe you're not living for Him. But you want to. You've got a desire to. You want to do right. And if that's you today, I believe that God wants to rescue you. He wants to pull you out of the flame. Today, He loves you and He cares for you. And listen, there's a place where we can have faith and believe, but there's another place where you got to walk it out. And so I want to encourage you today, even as we pray for you, if you say, I don't know Jesus and I want to know Jesus, I'll pray for you today and I want you to pray a prayer. But listen, it doesn't do you any good if you don't walk it out. If you don't step away from the world and step towards Him. So if that's you this morning and you're not serving God or you're watching online and you're not serving God today, I'm going to pray and you can pray a prayer similar to mine. But it's just a simple prayer of saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're the Savior. I believe you're the only one that can take away my sins. It's not by works that I get into heaven. It's by works I may prove my faith. I'm going to show off my faith. But I know it's only by your blood and your sacrifice, your death on the cross that sacrifice for my sins because my sin means I deserve death. But today I believe in you and I want to be born again. I don't want to be the same person I was yesterday. I don't want to be the same person I was when I walked into this room. I want to be born again. I want to be brand new. I want to give my life to you today. And so today I submit my life to you. Maybe you're in the crowd today and you're saying, I need to grow, Gabriel. I'm struggling in those areas of growth. If that's you this morning, let's just lift up our hands and let's just, let's just acknowledge the fact that we need some growth in our life. I'm lifting my hands. And God, I just pray for every one of us in this room. The greatest gift we can give our kids as dads is to be growing. God, to always be developing. God, I pray for every person in this room. God, that you would help us to grow and develop as Christians, God. That we would be pure. We would walk away from the world and walk towards you. God, that today we would be productive. God, we would stand on your promises today. God, that we would be useful in our knowledge and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we would be proven. We would be proven, God. We never know what we've got until it's tested. And so God, as you test us, I pray that we would come out with flying colors, ready for the grand entrance into heaven. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.